This week's episode of Bonehead is... What is this week? Uh, Aloha, Aloha from, from hell. hell. Is that, um, uh... Oh, jeez. What's that? Sandman Slim. Chad got it. Yeah. What's that? It's it's a Sandman Slim novel. Novels, uh, those, those are like magazines that have extra pages in them. See, look at all these pages. Joe. I brought it up pages our, uh... in here. Just tons. And this particular copy there is signed. See, I got it signed right there. Who'd you get it signed by? The guy that wrote it. Richard Cadry. Cadry. Cadry? I don't know. I follow him on Twitter. He's a very nice guy. Dick Cad. Got it. And this week's episode is about... Hold on. I want to try something. Can you still breathe, James? <laughs> Funny enough, it's not It's not that he was actually masturbating while you had the pillow up there. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. It doesn't take that much effort, Joe. It doesn't take that much effort. <laughs> God, yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. So, this week, we've Chad sick. Yep. Haley's... I'm here. Dead to us. And on top of that, James is in another country. It's it's technically just another state of being. It might as well be another country. But I was so excited to do this episode. I got three pages of notes. To the left of me is the movie what? Blazing Saddles. Oh, I, I can't see the poster. Yeah. But I didn't oh, know you can't see the poster. We've had a lot of requests to basically do Sheldon version of you to put an iPad up where you're motorized and put a shirt on you and stuff. They did it on Big Bang. I don't want to be derivative, so we're not going to do that. Plus, it would cost Big money. Bang there. Yeah, yeah Big bang. you have the shirt on. You do. I do have the Big Bang shirt on. You do. You are the Big Bang. Yeah. So, the Zinga and whatnot. Shut up, Mel Brooks. Oh my God! Born Melvin Kaminsky. I already screwed it up. Were you gonna say Kaczynski? I almost said Ted Kaczynski. After he blew up the uh, anyway. He was the bomb. Bomb. Yo. Mel Brooks. I was thinking about this. Of when it comes to humor, I don't know if it's movies altogether, but when it comes to me and what we do, I think our my biggest three influences are. In no particular order, George Carlin, Mel Brooks, and Python. Yeah. That's it. Now, there's don't get me wrong. There are other people out there whom I find hilarious. There are some people out there who are funny, who have done horrible things, but their previous work's still pretty funny. Yeah. There are people out there whom I find mildly amusing. But when it comes to having a huge impact on my life and stopping what I'm doing and rewatching, 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 it is George Carlin, it is Python, and it is Mel Brooks. What about you two? James? Uh, definitely Monty Python. Um, Mel Brooks. I mean, I think I've got all Mel Brooks movies. Um, I love George Carlin, but I don't know if George Carlin would be my third one. I think really... I think the reason Monty Python gets me so much is the just the non sequitur. I love non sequitur. I love dry humor. Um, so maybe Oscar Wilde would be my third. Just that dry, derivative, sarcastic humor. I'm sorry, Oscar Wilde wrote books. Joe, once again, they they got pages. He said, "This isn't Oscar Wilde. This Portrait is, uh, of Dorian Screwface." I've what? got nothing. I don't know. 
I don't well, listen, know. Your, your, what about your, your three? Uh, hatred of... Um, I'm done Oscar with Wilde. you. I'm done with you, Robot James. Your mom's, your mom's not done with me. Well, good. She needs... She was just here a few hours ago. A grow. Was, a grow. A grow. Yes, a grow. What aggro, about you? That's uh, when you're playing World of Warcraft, see, aggro is when you get attacked by a bunch of things and it attracts more creatures and you get overwhelmed. This is our Mel Brooks episode. I mean, honestly, I kind of... I was hoping you wouldn't say all three... Well, I was hoping we would differentiate, but yeah, we're pretty much on agreement on those three. There's, there are the three. Yeah, uh, they were not all, not everything each one of them did was astounding. Yeah, not everything they did has merit, honestly. Right. But they, I, I, they're the penultimate, in my opinion, of of comedy. I mean, there's so many other people. I know a lot of comedians will say Richard Pryor. I, don't get me wrong, Richard Pryor was amazing. There, what's what's another one? Uh, oh, geez, uh, Lenny Bruce. Maybe. Lenny Bruce is another one. But those people. Now today we're going to talk about Mel Brooks. Now, the reason I picked Blazing Saddles, I own several different Mel Brooks posters, but there's only actually two full one sheets. I have a half sheet. If we panned over there, we're not going to. Of History of the World Part 1 underneath Star Wars. But there's only two that I've got hanging up, even though I own Blazing Saddles, I own Silent Movie, and I think I own High Anxiety. The reason I have this one and Young Frankenstein hanging up, they both came out in 74, are because they're probably these two and... Holy Grail may be the three best comedies ever made. I don't know. They're, that's... That's a big thing. That's a big, tall order. But I'm telling you, when this movie's on, I stop and watch it. And I prefer Blazing Saddles just tad bit over Young Frankenstein, even though Young Frankenstein may be the superior film. James, are you going to give your argument for PCU? No, no, Chad. No, I'm not. You know what? I'm you not, shy? Chad. You shy? You don't want to... Really? Shy? Um, no, I, uh, you know, I mean, because I think about the Mel Brooks films... And I know we're going to talk about him more, but I think all of his movies, because I do like absurd humor, I do like wordplay, and I think Monty Python had a little bit better wordplay, but when Mel Brooks was on for wordplay, he was on. When he was doing absurdist humor, it was there. I mean, the fact that the one spoken dialogue of, of silent film... Is Marseille, is, is Marseille Marceau, right? Marcel, yeah, Marcel. For those that don't know, was, was a famous mime. Yes. And what are mimes not supposed to do? Uh, pretend oh. they're in a box. Yes, they're not supposed to talk. Absolutely. You sit over there and mime your way through this. Um, I, there was a... Devil, we didn't really talk about it much of how we were going to tackle this. We could talk about Get Smart. He created Get Smart with Buck Henry. Yep. We could talk about him working with Sid Caesar on the, the show, show of shows yeah. uh, where he was your a television writer. What'd you say? <clears throat> Your show of shows. Your show of shows. Sid Caesar, for you all that don't know that, was a... I'm trying to think of somebody I could compare him to today, but it probably isn't anybody I can compare him to because Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy um, Fallon, maybe Letterman, maybe, as far as, maybe being, as far as being the notoriety and people knowing who he is. Yeah. Because at the time, there was... Actually, at that time, there were only two networks. Yeah. Right? He His show was one of the first on television, Period. Period. And he was offered so much money. See, he and Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks wanted him to quit. 
and go off and do movies in Hollywood. You know, right. actually, the, his argument was, "I'm smart, you're talented," and he, by the way, we could do a whole show on Sid Caesar and his anger management. Yeah, pulling, what, he almost pulled somebody out of a window one out time. Out of a cab, out of a yeah. window. He picked Mel Brooks and hung him out a window one time of a very tall building, and they were not on the ground floor when he Mel Brooks bitched to him about being too. He smoked cigars, too much smoke in there. Yeah. He hung him out a window and said, is it better now? Can you be? Yeah, I better. <laughs> fresh air now? Think about that. He's got Mel Brooks to shut up. Right. Right? Yeah. No one else has yeah. ever done that, I'm sure, other than probably Anne Bancroft. Now, we could talk about all this, and he, he but they started to say, because his argument to uh, him, to Sid Caesar, was uh, those things were shot on something called Kinescope for you all out there that are interested in any of the history of broadcasting. And his, it was like, film lasts, Kinescope does, Kinescope's not going to last. But they offered him too much money, he wouldn't go. He eventually, Mel Brooks, ended up out in Hollywood. And he created Get Smart, right. which was a successful television show with, uh, oh my God, I completely forgot Don's name. Don Adams. It's not not. No, it's, it's not Don, not, Don Adams and Barbara Feldon as Get Smart and Agent 99. It was a huge hit back in the day with Buck Henry. Um, well, and, and I would say it also, and, and talking about impact, if you're a fan of things like The Naked Gun and stuff like that, that was kind of a natural progression of what he started with Get Smart. He wasn't involved with Naked Gun. No, but... But, I mean, the absurdist kind of... Satirical look at at looking at uh, basically James Bond. Yeah. He picked a, he picked James Bond apart before anyone else. It would be what he would do later on in a lot of most of his films. Yeah, and he did it before everyone else did it as well. But it still had a lot of heart. Like yeah. you actually cared about Maxwell Smart. Right. So. He missed it by that, that much. much. And for you all, Get Smart is not just a movie with the guy from The Office. That's based on a famous television show. That was based on Inspector Gadget. I'm not going to I'll talk to you now for 10 minutes. Now. Thanks, Jen. Oh, and James left. So, oh, let's get started. Didn't take uh, uh, you thir- 15 years and it was all it took was that. Do you want to? Damn. He's left. James has left the building. Do you guys want to talk about the producers? Sure. Let's, well, I mean, I don't think we need to. We shouldn't. We t- shouldn't we talk about twelve chairs first? Why? Because the producers came first. Producers came first. You're right. <laughs> so I was kind of wanting to go in chronological order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an uh, idiot. Do you have Do you have the sickness of the brain? A little. Do you bit. have a brain fever? A little bit. Oh yeah. 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 Got the brain fever. I got the L A L A flu. L A flu. I. Uh, you know what that's called? Dysentery. <laughs> See, you thought I was gonna go another way with that, didn't you? <laughs> No, sir. <coughs> We're PC here at this shit show. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the producers. What was the original title of the producers, James? Do you know? Was it, was it Springtime for it Hitler? It was Springtime for Hitler. The whole time they were shooting us. We're not going to release it called Springtime for Hitler. Well, that's the title, by God. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what, he... Um, as the show wound down, he was broke. He uh, he was married to Anne Bancroft. I don't think they'd had Max, his son, as yet. And he needed to make some money, and he wanted to make movies. And he got into... Uh, he couldn't figure out if, if the producers was going to be, basically, if it was going to be a play. Mm-hmm. Or if he should do it as a novel. Somebody would say, oh, you should do it as a play, you should do it as a novel. And somebody's like, oh, no, this is a movie. So, he wrote it and finally got 
uh, the ability through an independent producer um, to do it. I forgot if Peter Sellers, no, Peter Sellers helped get it released. I don't know. Do you have that story, James? No, that's actually one I don't know. Okay. So he cast Zero Mostel. Zero Mostel was very big at the time. He's in a famous musical, oh, what's it called? Uh, Something Funny Happened on the Way to the Forum. Is that it? Did I say it correctly? Yeah. A Funny Thing, a happened, funny on thing way happened on the Way to the Forum. He's a, he's a famous Broadway stage actor. And then Gene Wilder was best known probably at the time for Bonnie and Clyde. He's in Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, I didn't realize. Okay. That's... that's he, by the way, I could tell you a story of how Gene Hackman ended up in Young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. Ah, 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 ah. So, the producers. What's the producers about? Who wants to take over? Because I feel like I'm doing all the talking. No, you... The producers is about a, a sham. Um, Zero Mostel plays basically a horrible producer. Who makes who... his money. Yeah, who makes his money more or less by putting on shows and getting people to give him money for shows. And the money, you know, his shows never seem to take off. And then he basically has an accountant come in that audits him, played by Gene yes, Wilder. Gene Wilder. And Gene Wilder comes in and is doing his books, basically, and doing an audit on him and, and does an off-the-cuff comment going, well, you know, if you had enough insurance and certain things in place, you could make more money with a flop. Yeah. Then you was a success. So it's it's loosely based on a guy that Mel Brooks knew when he was in New York who was doing this. He was sleeping with little old ladies to raise money for these plays, and this is all true, and he would raise a little bit more than was needed, and somebody made a comment once, they hope to God none of these ever hit because he produced one flop after another. The reason being is, let's say, uh, you're sleeping with little old lady B, and you're getting 50%. You're sleeping with little old lady C, she's paying you 45%, and little old lady D is paying you 60%. Well, I just went over 100%. The, if the show doesn't make any money, no one ever has to get paid off. And you just yep. made extra money. Right? Right. It's yep. not the first movie to deal with that. There's a French film, I think, that has dealt with it, or a French book that dealt with it before. But it was definitely, I think, the most first American film to deal with it. And then everybody got quiet. <laughs> well, no, it was... Um, so, and... So, yeah, basically, the, the rest of the film is they, they try to find the worst possible film, or, I'm sorry, the worst possible play to put on, right? Right. Um, and they, they, they read uh, one about somebody turning into a cockroach, but it's just too good. The thing is, is that back to you were talking about in Python, they're all, you know, they're, they they uh, went to famous colleges in England. I mean, they either went to uh, Cambridge or Oxford. For, it was either Cambridge or Oxford, all except for Gilliam. Gilliam was the only American and he was educated and he was a college educated, but the rest of them were Cambridge and Oxford. Mel Brooks has not one, but two Kafka jokes. Yep. Yeah. Two. Yeah. And we're also, let's give the man some credit. Should we get to the what movies he produced later a little bit? Sure. Okay. Let's. But, I mean, we'll get to that later. As far as being educated and smart? Oh, yeah. Really smart. I mean, two Kafka jokes. I, I, if you've never read The Metamorphosis by Kafka, read it. I have read um, The Metamorphosis by Kafka. That's what he's alluding to. Um, right. So if any of our viewers have never read The Metamorphosis, it's not too long of a read. No, it's a short story. You should go out and check it out. The second joke is in Spaceballs. 
Metamorphosis. <laughs> We're ready for metamorphosis. No, no, metamorphosis. Yes. Yeah. Ready, Kafka? <laughs> There's three people what? in the United States who laughed in the theaters when that came out. <laughs> right? right? Three. Yes. Yeah. So but anyway, the, go ahead. The, the rest of, of the producers, um, they finally find this horrible, horrible, horrible play written by a Nazi in hiding. Because this was 1960s. Based, and it's called Springtime for Hitler. Called Springtime for Hitler, which is basically a musical salute to Hitler and um, the German, the Nazi party. Right. Um, and they they decide to put on the play because, of course, there's no way this play is going to make money. It becomes a huge hit. And then there's that, oh, crap, what do we do now moment? And that's that's the entire plot of it. Right. That's it. Um, and then they're they're yeah. screwed and they end up in prison. One, but it does have a great, uh, I mean, a, a great song about, as a, a musical for Hitler. So you have a song called Springtime for Hitler. Hitler and Germany. Anyway. Winter for Poland and France. France. So he would later, of course. Germany, no. Germans going to your dance. Right. He would later adapt this to a famous stage play that won 12 12, 12 Tonys. Right. And we'll get to the fact that Mel Brooks is one of the few people with an EGAT. Right? Right. So it's an Emmy. A Golden Globe. A Golden Globe, an Oscar, Oscar and, and a, a Tony. Tony. Yes. Tony, Tony, Tony. He won. He won Best Screenplay for the producers. He never thought he would win. He prepared no speech whatsoever. He basically said, I've got to tell you what's in my heart right now. Thump. Thumpity thump, thumpity thump, thumpity thump. But he did say, I, I've only got so many words to thank, and it was basically to thank Gene Wilder. Now, see, the other thing is, so the play itself was a huge success. How well did the producers do when it first got released in the theaters? It was a huge bomb. You guys want to hear a story? It almost didn't get released. I didn't know this. Well, yeah, and, I, and what you also got to realize, too, is this was in the 60s. Yes. It was about the same time frame of length as... Between World War II and that time, as if somebody decided today to do a movie and call it like a, a, a springtime for Osama, you know, it's kind of the same time frame. Uh, just slightly more, but yes, about twenty some years. Yeah, I mean it's close. I'm not yeah, saying it's yeah, exact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's about, about twenty five years right after. I think it came out in sixty eight or sixty nine. So it'd have been about twenty five years after the end of World War Two. So we're looking at what seventeen years out. Yeah, yeah. So we're about seven years out for springtime for Osama. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Afghanistan. And winter for New York. No, oh, that's no. horrible. No, no. See? We're, we're still trying, not we're, there we're yet. We're trying to get viewers. Right, right. We're still not there yet. But or that's listeners. a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, the, the honest shock we just had would have been similar to what they would have had when he made that. Yeah, yeah. And people still get pissed. When the play came on, people were still mad when they went to see it because it was a huge Broadway success. Right. And it spawned a movie, right. which is also good, which also didn't do well. Right. I actually really like it. Okay. Movie. I like the movie. But it also didn't do well. Right. It right? It didn't, didn't. No. Absolutely. So, so what did we learn from this? Don't make a movie out of the producers. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I found this fascinating. I want to read this. and I, I, The major reason the film ever got released at all was due to the intervention of Peter Sellers. 
because hmm. they spent very little on it. It was a low-budget film. Yeah, it was extremely Somehow low or another, he convinced and found his way. He has always had Final Cut. Did you guys know that? He yeah. had Final Cut on his first project. And because it was such a low budget and because he was so famous from writing television, they actually let him have it on this. Huh. After Brooks completed the picture at that point titled Springtime for Hitler, the executive producer told Brooks the film wouldn't be released because he thought it was in poor taste and not very funny. Meanwhile, while Sellers was in Hollywood making I Love You, Alice B. Talkless, which I've never seen, he liked to screen movies for him and his friends' entertainment. One night this film was screened, even though he and his friends were supposed to see this other movie. Uh, but uh, Paul Mazursky was supposed to bring the film over, and Sellers uh, accidentally got this one, or they mis uh, I'm sorry, let me get this straight. Paul Mazursky brought this one, and Sellers loved it. When he heard it would not be released, he began calling Levine, who was the executive producer, and eventually convinced him to release it. The only compromise being that the title had to be changed. Hmm. That's the reason it became the producers. Wow. And then he would go on to win the Oscar, which nobody thought he was going to win. He didn't think he was going to win, and he won it. And he won the, screen, the Oscar for what category? The producers for best screenplay. So, best writing. Yeah. Best original screenplay. All right. The next movie is 12 Chairs. Who's seen 12 Chairs? Raise your hand. Me. Actually, did we all watch it together? No. No. Really? I have it on the DVD. I have it on Blu-ray, but I didn't see it. So, that's the last Mel Brooks movie I ever saw. His second movie. Yeah, that's the last movie I saw of his as well. Okay. Twelve Chairs is about. It's hard for me. It's not my favorite. Yeah. It was shot in uh, Yugoslavia. It was based on a famous Russian novel. And it's not his usual style of movies. It's either. not really. Well, either. Springtime for Hitler, it kind of. But anyway. I didn't realize it was Frank Langella's first film. Really? I didn't know that, but it's Frank Langella's first film. And by the way, you watch that movie? Frank Langella does not look like Frank Langella. No, but he's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's still hot. Anyway. There's uh, there's treasure hidden in these twelve chairs, and these two guys are not are no good nicks. Right. And they are out to try to find the twelve chairs because one of them has hidden treasure in it. Right. And they're trying to screw each other and everybody else they come in contact with. That it. That's it. That's in a the nutshell. Plot. Anything to add to that? No, I mean now it's that's the plot of the film. Yeah. And it's it seems like this is kind of like the one. It's not bad, by the way. It's you not go bad. out and watch Twelve Chairs. It's I have it on Blu-ray. It's it's entertaining. And by the way, it probably holds up better than any or several other films. Well, I was about to say early seventies. We have The Godfather, so not as well as The Godfather, but it holds up really well. Yeah, it's just it just seems like out of all the Mel Brooks movies, including which we'll get into, Dracula Dead and Loving It, and all. This one seems like it's kind of lost in the ether. Like, nobody talks about 12 chairs for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's just because it's not typical Mel Brooks, what he it's became not, known for. It's not. It's not. And it's based on a novel, which is not also a Mel Brooks thing. He produced several movies that were based on novels. Right. But for him to direct a film that was done, no, it wasn't, that wasn't him. Yeah. And it's it's entertaining. It's got a dark ending although they changed the ending and in the, the ending in the book it's even darker the other one kills the other one slices her throat oh geez yeah so he lightened that up a little bit as he should have you're right 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 it's a farce uh, it's a little dark um however mel brooks has a performance in it. it's probably not one of his best performances right. either so 12 chairs guess what it went out and did bombed nothing yeah Cut to 1973. 
he's got a new kid. He's married to a lady named Ann Bancroft. And the story goes, he's walking down the street in New York looking for change in the grates. <laughs> yes. Right? Right. And, yeah, some, and then he found a, a magical golden ticket. Oh, I've got a golden <laughs> ticket. And that then... That did not happen. <laughs> shut up, James. I, think, I can't remember the producer. I'm not going to look. I said, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm looking for change. And he took him to lunch. Norman Steinberg? I don't know if it was actually Norman Andrew Steinberg. Bergman. No, those are the writers. Oh, shoot. Uh, that's okay. I don't know who actually did it, but he met, took him to lunch and he said, well, I got this screenplay. It's by Andy... Yeah, Andrew Bergman. Oh, really? Yeah. Did I get it? Did I move it? Need to move it back? It looked better. There we go. All right. Andy Bergman. Andrew Bergman had actually been a dentist, I think, and wanted to become a screenwriter. And he kind of wrote a 50-page outline, kind of a spec script. A spec script is something where they're trying to write something, but it's not completely done. Or, oh, I want to try to sell this. And it was called Tex X. Yep. Did you guys know that? Yeah. And the, it's a play on words yes. of Malcolm X, and it was the same kind of plot of a black sheriff comes into an old west town. <clears throat> Mel said, I don't do stuff based on other people's things. I don't do stuff on that. He goes, well, come on. We'll let you direct it, and you can figure it out. I think you'll like it. He read it and decided to do it. Yes, James. I will say, here's a little bit more details on that. It was David Begelman, by the way. So sorry. Thank you. You took him to lunch. Um if you check out what they have for lunch i actually can tell you it was when he was still eating eggs because i've heard this story more than once there you go if you check out this book about richard pryor it gives the backstory on a little bit of and this. for our so, listeners what is the name of that book james furious cool richard pryor in the world that made it oh and it furious two authors who originally met with richard pryor uh, they were going to do a screenplay basically kind of if you want to think about it um, Walk the Line, Johnny Cash type film about Richard Pryor. And they met with him as he was advanced and very ill. Yeah. And they actually were given full access to his notes, a bunch of his other stuff, and they met with a ton of people. The book's really good. I need to but read that. talks about Mel Brooks in it. So. And, and I, uh, that's, I wanted to actually talk about this because here is kind of what happened, and it's got uh, Mel Brooks' commentary on it. So Andrew Bergman was another client – um, Beagleman was also a talent person. Is an agent. Yeah. Um, in other words, he was a con artist. Um, but he, Brooks, uh, during this time, was only interested in developing his own stuff. But at the same time, as we talked about, he was not doing well. Mm -hmm. He was literally looking for change. Um, he wasn't getting acting jobs. He had tried to just also act more. Mm -hmm. He would act in other people's stuff. Um, and so finally, Beagleman got him, and his, his quote when they asked him about why he finally decided to do it was, and this is Mel Brooks' quote, I figured my career was finished anyway. Yep. Because he couldn't get any work. Mm -hmm. um, but he hired uh, Bergman to help him with the script, and then Norman Steinberg and Alan Unger, uh -huh. and then he wanted to actually have somebody that would have, as he worded it in the interview, he, he knew he needed a black voice. Right. And he went and tried to get Dick Gregory. Yeah. Anybody know who Dick Gregory is? He's a black comedian. Yes. Um, who who was in everything from, he only recently died. But I mean, modern day, he's probably known best for things like Reno 911. He was in some of those. But he was, um, and, and, and Dick Gregory allegedly read it 
and was like, no, 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 this will kill my career. Uh, why don't you get somebody else? Well, you don't get somebody whose career is bulletproof. Yeah. And that's what made Mel Brooks go, we'll go after Richard Pryor. And if you read this book, it'll talk about why it was bulletproof and all of that stuff. Um, well, they wanted to write it. He wanted to put a writer's room together to put the screenplay like he did on the show of shows, which is not normally he usually writes things with someone else, maybe one or two people, but he wanted a writer's room, right, James? Yeah, and, and that's so. so Richard Pryor. There you go. Of course, you're breaking up on us. Interesting story that doesn't get told. Richard. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. It says your internet connection is unstable, which is typical, James. Oh, James. On my end, it says I have full full service. Um. Well, yeah, but you're willing to pay premium for gasoline. Huh. Anyway, uh, so you were saying? Richard Pryor um, helped write Blazing Saddles. Well, yes, but he also had... This is actually something I didn't know until I read this book. Richard Pryor was also developing his own cowboy western about an African-American sheriff called The Black Stranger. Oh, really? Yes. And... um, when Mel Brooks met with him, he looked at him and goes, listen, this has to be surrealist, a surrealistic epic or we're never going to get away with it. It'll never fly. It's got to be surreal. Um, and basically, um, Mel Brooks finally just told him it's got to be a Picasso painting. Yeah. We have to have two eyes up front. Everything's got to be out of order. And, um, you know, that they were together nine months on it. Uh, right. with Mel Brooks writing it, doing stuff like that. So- and... Um, he, he talks a lot about basically Richard Pryor doing tons of drugs and doing psychotic religious impersonations and things like that that they couldn't put in the script. And uh, Joe, did you have the research on the one thing they did cut from the film that Richard Pryor wrote that Mel Brooks went, no, 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 we can't put that in the film? Well, they shot it, and it is in an early screening, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it's at the end. Are you talking about the scene of right after? So he goes to bed with uh, Lily Von Stoop, played by Madeline Kahn. Made, played by the amazing Madeline, Madeline Kahn. Of clue yes. fame, and the uh, this is very it's a very it's a stereotype joke, but she the lights go out and she goes, "Is it true what they say about you people?" And you hear a uh, zipper <coughs> unzip, and she goes, "It's true, it's true." The next line that's cut from the film right. is, "You're sucking on my arm, baby. You're yeah, sucking on my, my arm." arm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to dispel you of your disillusion, man, but you're sucking, sucking on, on my arm. Absolutely, that was the line that they cut out of the movie. Of all the shit that they cut out, oh my god, that's a great line. Yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, so oddly enough, for those people that were writing the movie, uh, you would think that Richard Pryor wrote most of the black jokes, African-American jokes. No, those are Mel Brooks. Richard Pryor wrote everything that ba- happened with Mongo. Mongo only pawn in Game of Life is Richard Pryor. All those are Richard Pryor jokes. Yeah. So I find that hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there a story where the, Richard Pryor... The other Pryor... part that I will say, the one scene that he... Um... That, that Richard Pryor did write that, and that made him upset that he didn't get, get an act in what is one of my favorite scenes. It's when he takes himself hostage. Yeah. Um, drop it. Or swear, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, you can't say it. Isn't there a no, story? Isn't there a no, story? That, well, no, um, no. But. Um, you have to get a word at edgewise? Yeah, I'm not well, talking. I was gonna say, all I wanted to say was Richard Pryor and actually uh, um, 
Mooney actually wrote that line. Yeah. And that so, was the one thing that uh, Richard Pryor really wanted to act because he wanted to do it full tilt Bugs Bunny off the wall. So Richard Pryor was going to play Black Bart. Right. And the studio wouldn't let him. Is that well, what you want to talk well, about? No, well, isn't there a story when Mel Brooks first met him? He walked into the room and Richard Pryor was was making coke lines right there on the table when they first met? Maybe, probably. <laughs> I have no idea. I know that Warner Brothers would not cast him. That's how they ended up with Cleavon Little. And, and Richard Pryor, I don't think ever... I don't know that he didn't forgive him, but he was never quite happy about it. Right. Because he wanted to play him. And he would have been great. Right. Cleavon Little's great. Would Richard Pryor have been better? I don't know. I, I love Cleavon Little in the part. Yeah. It It's a movie. Movies can always usually have somebody else in the part. Uh, but, yes, you can see that Richard Pryor would have nailed that one out. If he could have got him sober, right. he would have knocked it out of the park. Right. And, and that's actually what Mooney says. Uh, and if you read the book, like I said, it's a great book, um, if, if you're interested in any of this. But Mooney actually says that... Um, uh, Richard Pryor said that Cleavon was great, but he says the problem is that Cleavon Little is great, but he's not a genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and he he's, and then Mooney said, "Can you actually imagine?" Um, I agree. You know, Richard Pryor being able to do that role. I agree. And and so yeah. Yeah. So I I did find something that was interesting. Now most of this stuff was on IMDb. There's most of this I already knew, but other few things. Burt Gilliam, who played Lyle, who was uh, who was uh, Slim Pickens' assistant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You and you. Camp Town Racist. He's seen uh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dudar. Okay, so he had a problem saying the N word. Oh. You've seen his role, right? Yes. <clears throat> right. Yes. Cleavon Little had to take him aside and said, "Listen, this is all in fun. This is joking. Please, you can go ahead and do it. We're having a good time. If I thought it was serious, I'd beat the shit out of you." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. I didn't know that story. I did. I didn't know that one either. The other great thing about Blazing Saddles it is it has the first farting scene in film history. Right. And that caused a lot of controversy. A lot of controversy. Because <clears throat> there's a whole story about you know they thought that the N word being used or the 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 biracial love scenes would come no it yeah. was the fart scene the farting scene is what pissed everybody off right don't you all find that hilarious not richard mel brooks has even said sometimes uh, like biracial he wonders if he let that genie out of the bottle too soon <laughs> well there's a thing that you all and we we all three have said if you're going to climb the mountain and we stole it from mel brooks if you're going to climb the mountain what ring the well, bell i was gonna say walk no. over the dead bodies Ring the bell. So, and that's another thing. When he got his, uh, in 2015, he got his National Medal of the Arts from Barack Obama. He actually quoted, Barack Obama quoted, uh, talked about Blazing Saddles. As Mel Brooks once said to his writers on Blazing Saddles, which is a great film. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's what Barack yeah, Obama I'm, said. I'm shaking my head. Write anything you want because we'll never be heard from again. We'll all be arrested for this movie. <laughs> Also, did you all talk about Gig Young? Gig Young was a Western actor, and yeah, he was we, original. We, if we're talking about Blazing Saddles, we have to talk about Gig Young. Yeah, he was yeah, originally yeah. going to play who? Gene Wilder's part. The Waco Kid. The Waco. Gene Wilder wanted to play the Waco Kid. I think he wanted him for another part. I can't remember if he wanted him for Edlin Lamar or something else. He wanted Gene Wilder in the movie, but right. he didn't want him as a Waco Kid. He didn't see him as a Waco Kid. Right. Gig Young was a notorious drunk. Right. 
And when they went to shoot the scene that morning, what happened? James? It was a scene where Gene Wilder falls over upside down in the bed. Right. In yeah. the prison, in the jail. So, James, what happens? Uh, well, he... Telling him from Mel Brooks' point of view, Mel Brooks originally thought, oh, my God, he is nailing this. He's giving me a great performance. He's giving me a great performance because he was acting completely out of it. He was getting, looking like he was about ready to be physically ill and all that stuff. But it turns out that, unfortunately, the reason he looked like he was giving a great performance was he was getting very, very ill. He was in bad he shape. He had the DTs. He was, yeah. He was foaming God. from his mouth. He was foaming from his mouth. He had the DTs. Yeah. They had to stop filming that day. They lost a day. And Mel, and then uh, I think it was a Friday, if I'm not checked, uh, let me know. And Richard, uh, shit, Gene Wilder was there Monday morning shooting. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it happened. There was no one else. And by the way, you can't, I, you can't envision anybody else in the Waco Kid part. I, I don't want to yeah. take anything. For, I love Cleavon Little. Cleavon Little was amazing, but I can imagine Richard Pryor in that part. I can't imagine anybody else in Waco Kid's part. Right. No, I, I literally, I mean, and I love the movie, but just his delivery of lines like, you know, oh, it's one of my favorite scenes. These are just simple folk, salt of the earth, blah, 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 blah. You know, morons. That was improvised. That that laugh Cleveland Little does is real. Yeah. <laughs> that was real. He didn't know he was going to say that. I didn't know that either until I was looking this up. All right. We've talked a lot about Blazing so, Saddles. Just one, th one more thing before, yes, we, move on, before we move on. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that Blazing Saddles was so successful, which I don't even understand with the content that was involved with Blazing Saddles, why they decided to do this. A spinoff television show was created. That starred who, Chad? Lou Gossett Jr. Jr. Called Black Bart, right? Called Black Bart. Yeah. Yep. You it, watch a pilot off. You get if you get certain versions of the blue uh, DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. It has a pilot. I've got a copy. It is not good. No. It is not funny. But if you're a Blazing Saddles fan, you owe it to yourself you to go watch yourself it. You owe yourself to watch it. Like the Star Wars Christmas special. You owe it to yourself to go out and check that out. Which it's right on that but, level. But if you, I, I was going to say, Christmas special Blazing Saddles, Ooh. how would you take that and put it on network TV? Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, honestly. The, the other thing I want to say though is, where Blazing Saddles was a success, and going back to the book, the Richard Pryor book, um, I mentioned he was working on his own western. The bits that didn't make it into Blazing Saddles, he kept, and it would eventually lead to Richard Pryor being allowed to make his own western. Has anybody ever seen it? No, no, never even heard it's of it. Adios amigos. <clears throat> it is meant to be in the same vein. Uh, a little bit more serious. It's mute. It is. It's not viewed as just comedy. It's also viewed as an action film. But uh, obviously, he didn't get Richard Pryor again, or uh, he didn't get Gene Wilder. So it would be the first on-screen pairing of the epic duo of um, Richard Pryor and Fred Williamson. <laughs> I've never seen it. Neither have I. Fred Williamson also directed it and and uh, reworked his screenplay. <laughs> So if, if you're ever, if you're a diehard, I don't know. Fred Williamson I, fan, go out and check out From Dust Till Dawn. It's his yeah, best performance. Yeah, yeah. Not to take anything away yeah. from the man. But, but if, if you love Blazing Saddles and you're sitting here going, Richard Pryor worked on that, and I would love to know what he what his yeah. other ideas were. Um, he's coked out his mind most of the time. So if you go and actually watch uh, Adios Amigos, which is available on DVD, uh, Fred Williamson um, is who he put in it. Okay. Yeah, so and, 
And he once again, he had Final Cut. The studio saw it, hated it. They, nobody laughed. And they said, you're going to have to take out this, 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 and this, and this. And he said, okay, fine. Rolled it up and threw it away because he had Final Cut. They didn't know he had Final Cut. Showed it to an audience at the studio. Guess what? They Of actual people yeah. laughed their ass off. It was a big hit. So much so Warner Brothers didn't have a movie that summer. They re-released it. Right. It was a huge success. It was a huge success. All right. Next movie is... Can you imagine making Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein and coming out in the same year? I, I just, it's amazing. Especially when you were going from looking in the gutter. Yeah, a year ago. You were I, looking for change and walking and looking. I looked over at Haley for our people. I mean, because she was doing this. You were looking for yeah. change. You were married to an actress. You're a fairly successful guy, but you have no job opportunities. You've got no money. He was divorced. Right. I can't imagine. And then later on, you were basically setting yourself up to make movies for the next 10 to 15 years. Right. On top of everything else. Not even talking about the acting. We could do six hours on Mel Brooks. Your next movie is Young Frankenstein. And what did all those people have in common that are in that movie? They were represented by the same agent. Mike Metavoy. Don't ask me why (laughs) I know that. They had the same agent. While they yes. were making Blazing Saddles, young uh, Gene Wilder had had the idea of writing Young Frankenstein, and he brought it up to him, and it went from there. And they were all represented by the same agent. Right. Him, Peter Boyle, Cloris Leachman. Terry Gar. Terry Gar. And, well, I don't know if Terry... Well, I, and... Um, Madeline Kahn. Nope. Marty Feldman. Mar- I forgot Marty Feldman's <laughs> name. <laughs> Marty Feldman started out as a writer. Yeah. That's what Marty... Well, obviously... Well, as look at that face. I know he was a comedy writer yeah. for years. Well, and if you're going to talk about Python, as we talked about, right. I mean, he was in precursor to Python. Yeah, the 1948 show. Oh, he was in more him. than that. He was also in the Frost Report with David Frost, yeah. who you could check out later with Frost Nixon. You can find at last the 1948 show um, on DVD a couple episodes, but that's actually where the famous four Yorkshire men. Yeah, he was originally one of the actors that played that. He was the writer. And he didn't want to really do a lot of stuff on screen, but he just had a presence. Uh, Gene Wilder has said more than once before he died that it was his favorite movie of his, Young Frankenstein. They wanted to do it. It was going to be done at Columbia, and they had the deal done. And he was walking to walk out. He was getting up to walk out of the room and said, "Oh, by the way, I don't know if it's, this is how he tells it. I, I doubt that this is exactly how it happened. I'm going to shoot it in black and white." And he's like, "What?" <laughs> yep and they wanted him to shoot it in color and then they changed it to black and white and he's like no they're just now getting color and, and I'm going to say he, he used another country Yugoslavia you're going to screw me it's going to go there and play in color right so he had to shoot it in black and white so it ended up at Fox by a guy named Alan Ladd Jr. who was the who was the executive at, at there he's famous for being called uh, for being a really great guy who got great talent People called him Laddie. His friends called him Laddie. There was a little movie he, he, he said yes to that was a huge film that got his ass fired. Do you guys know what movie that was? No. Star Wars. Oh. Because he failed to nail down the sequel rights to that bitch. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody was so Look excited about Damnation Alley. Yeah, Damnation Alley was supposed to be the big hit. I know. I know. 20th Century Fox. He eventually got him fired. He produced Blade Runner, too. Laddie. Anyway, Alan Ladd Jr., the Ladd Company. And Mel Brooks ended up doing a lot of movies for Fox. 
Young Frankenstein, I, what did we not cover in the last episode? We talked about it quite a bit, didn't we? Yeah, we talked about it in length. So, I mean, we pretty much, we covered quite a bit of it. The only only interesting fact I'd like to throw out there is Gene Hackman plays the blind man, which is a play on one of the scenes from one of the Frankenstein movies. And how that happened was is that Gene Hackman wanted to do more comedy. And I guess they were friends from when they did Bonnie and Clyde together, but he and Gene Wilder were tennis friends. They played tennis every week. Yeah. That was it. Well, the other thing, too, is about Young Frankenstein maybe we should cover is the fact that this is probably the only one where Mel Brooks doesn't have a, a speaking role in it. Well, he has a speaking role. He's not he's, he's, he's the, he, Yeah, he's the door handle, right? No, no. He also is the voice of Frankenstein when they're, when they're, when you can hear him, when he's hearing the Frankenstein oh, voice. Yes. Okay. And he's also the voice of the cat. The yeah, that, that's right. And the Frau Blucher. He's actually several different voices. Gene Wilder did not want him in the movie. Oh, really? Why? Because he said it would just take everybody out of it. Oh, okay. He wanted, it was not for this, and he wouldn't let him direct it as, until he said he would not be in but it. But his face is in it because he play, his sculpture is on the, is, is on the castle. Itself. And he has several different voice cameos yeah, in it, yeah, too. Yeah. So, okay. But that's beside the point. I don't blame him. I put myself in everything, too. <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. So, again, Young Frankenstein was a huge yeah. success, and then he goes in to producers and says, okay, so here's my next movie. Uh, there's not going to be any audio. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I didn't know this. Mel Brooks considers the best film he ever directed to be Young Frankenstein. Yeah. But it's not the funniest. What's, his, what's the funniest? Blazing Saddles and the Producers. <laughs> uh, number, it's number three on his funniest. The Blazing Saddles and the Producers are funnier. Huh. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I can argue with it. Solid movie. Yeah. Which, okay, so out of the three of us. That's your more of your favorite that's one. That's one, I mean, okay, I love. And young, it has a ton of candy. I love Young Frankenstein. I love Blazing Saddles. I do. But Solid Movie has a special part of me that it. I, I just love it. And I will watch it every time. If, I, if, if, it's, if, it, if it's on, I will stop doing what I'm, what I'm doing and watch it. I Which is really get, I will get disadvantage. It was not advantageous for your children that day that were playing with the fire. Uh, <laughs> blame programming. Yeah. <laughs> but no, a silent movie is a great film uh, for me. And Who are the three stars? Mel Brooks, Marty Feldman, and a very young, bald Dom DeLuise. Ah, oh, Dom DeLuise. <laughs> I watched him in Amazing Stories the other night, directed by Burt Reynolds, and. Oh really? Yeah, I, I want to do a whole. I want to do a whole episode on Amazing Stories, but that's beside the point. I'm following. I want to do an with... entire episode about Dom DeLuise. Ooh, let's do it. Yeah, let's do Loose Cannons. Oh my God, it's directed by Bob Clark. Yeah, and stars Gene Hackman. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd. All right, the James Thomas of Aykroyd. Look forward to our future episode on Dom DeLuise and all these other people. So, so what else do you want to say about it? It was actually, you know what? I looked it up. I didn't realize it was also, it was, it was a success. It was a success. huge success. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most of his movies were successes up until the 80s. Right. Yeah. So I didn't know it was a success. It has a ton of cameos in it. Burt Reynolds, Paul Newman. I could just sit here and go off. Yeah, and off uh, Liza Minnelli. Right. It goes on and on. Anything to add about Silent Movie? No, not, I mean. Took balls I, of steel. To make yeah. a silent movie, and they let him do it. You go from black and white. You go. You go. Well, let's, let's go. Let's let's start. You go from Blazing Saddles, which 
you know, probably how did they even how did that even get made? I mean, my God, they farted on on screen. They would never get made today. Not the farting. The rest. Yeah, of the yeah. Movie. The rest of the stuff would never get made today. Black and white movie in the age of of the re, of color is just like everything's all it has to be color. And then and, mo and there are people who don't have black and who don't have color television sets in '74. Right. Like that's a premium. That's a premium. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, when you go to the movie, when you have a tele, when you can't afford a television, yep. you go to the movies to see color because it's out there now. And then you go back, and then you're you're watching a movie in black and white. Still, a lot of people want to see it. Then you follow that up with a movie with no dialogue. Yep. And the only person who speaks is a mime who never spoke before yeah. on film. And he says, yep. "No." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, spoiler. Oh my God! You ruined it for me. I'm not gonna watch this shit. All right. So, hi. Anything else you want to add? Anything else, James? We're good. High anxiety. He made fun of the master. And let's talk about how. Let's talk about him making fun of the master in real life. Hitchcock. Hitchcock. The man had a pace pacemaker. He was not in good health. What does Mel Brooks do? Sees Kicks Alfred Hitchcock over. bend over, kicks, kicks him, him in the ass. ass. And Hitchcock loved I it. I loved it. <laughs> one of the best stories. James, you want to talk about him going out to dinner? Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories oh, about yeah. him. And by the way, James Thomas will not do it any justice. Please go look the Mel Brooks special up and let him tell, tell the story. The story. Just give James. him a quick version. He does tell it best. I'll tell it real quick, though. Basically, Mel Brooks and... and Hitchcock end up at dinner together, whatever. He, he tells the full backstory. Watch him do it. But they sit there, and it, it begins with the you know it's a four course meal or chocolate desserts and all that stuff. And he has and shrimp cocktails, salad, steak. Yeah, and, and Mel Brooks is he's literally almost becoming ill, just trying to you know keep yeah. up with Alfred Hitchcock. And and at the very end. Uh, the the waiter of course comes over. He isn't doing it who justice. Pretty much was <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock's personal waiter at this establishment comes over and and says, uh, "Will there be anything else, Mister Hitchcock?" And he just goes again. <laughs> yes, he took and his cigar out of his pocket, yeah. cut it, beginning. put it back into the case, put it back, and said again. <laughs> and then he did it all again from the beginning. From the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Full meal all over again. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's another one. It's got it's got a great performance. Another great Cloris Leachman performance yeah. in it. Uh, the the future director of Rain Man, Barry and Diner, Barry Levinson is in it. He's the one that stabs Mel Brooks with the paper in the in the in the movie. He's mm -hmm. a, he was a he was a comedy writer. He started out as a comedy right. writer. Who he he uh, he did a comedy troupe with um, Craig T. Nelson, right? Yes, that's right. I yeah. don't, didn't know that till we were we, we we found that out researching something else, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And there's a whole story where I'll get tell this real quick. Craig T. Nelson and Barry Levinson they were a comedy duo way back when, and one of their one of their um, bits was they would be on stage and they would be tuning their guitar, and that tuning would take 15 minutes ah. of just them tuning the guitar over and over again. Hilarious. So they would make the audience would laugh. Another. So the audience <laughs> would laugh. They would get. They would they would start chuckling nervously. They would get really irritated, and then bring them right back again. Yep. That was uh, that was one of the things they were known for. Continue. So Hitch, there's a lot of great performances. Check it out. He made fun of all the Hitch or most of the Hitchcock films. Uh, Psycho. There's a great sequence where he makes fun. And actually, uh, Hitchcock 
corrected him. He's like, there was, I don't remember. Uh, there was one mistake in your, in your shower sequence. There was nine shower rings. You had eight. <laughs> wow. And he was, he literally was one off and Hitch caught it. Uh-huh. But he loved it so much. He sh this is the story I'm going to tell. This is he says he showed it for him before it came out in the private theater. Hitch sat there. He left. The people who were friends with him, I'm not. He was dead. Called him Hitch. Left. He didn't say anything. And Mel was like, oh, "Did he hate it? He whatever." And he sent him over a whole case of Dom Perignon magnums, and said, "I loved it." But he wow. never told him. Wow. He just sent it in a note. He walked out out of it. Loved it. So he was a huge fan. There was one, did you all look at this, the joke that he wanted in the movie, but he never got to put it in there that Hitch wanted in the movie? No. And there's a guy, because Hitchcock wanted to do it in one of his movies and it never quite fit, because Hitchcock was a funny guy. He's also maybe a little bit uh, touchy to Starlets as well as came out. Uh, there's some really good stories and a good movie about it. Check it out. Even though he's still a, a genius when it comes to celluloid. There's a guy, he's running, he's running, he's running. Their cops are after him. He sees the boat. The boat's about to take off. He sees the boat's out in the water. He's running. He jumps for the boat, lands on the boat as the boat's docking. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. I know, it's hilarious, right? <clears throat> High anxiety. And it has a great song in it. Once again, Mel Brooks writing songs for his movies. Anything else? Well, uh do you know that the, the um, we talked about with Young Frankenstein when we did the Frankenstein episode that they use the actual sets. Do you know what Mel Brooks used actually from Hitchcock that well, shows up in this film? No. He actually went out and hired the same bird trainer that Hitchcock used on the oh, birds. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, the, he, he said that it was important that they kept the birds managed the same way. And not to give anything away in the film, there's a scene that has some birds, bird droppings and all of this stuff. He gets shit on by uh, birds. Well, and they actually hired a helicopter to do that. Mm -hmm. To just spray, basically. And it was made from mayonnaise and spinach, ground up spinach. Yeah. The fake bird dropping. The problem was that um, while they were setting all this up and getting the helicopter ready and doing all that stuff, some birds had evidently settled near the set as well. Mm-hmm. And when the helicopter took off, it scared the birds too. So there's some of that is not fake. No, he really got shit on by the birds. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got they got scared, but yes. So it does actually use the same bird trainer as Hitchcock used in the birds. So huh. again, <laughs> factual films. It's funny. That because was the best pause ever. I've ever seen. History of the World Part One. Two facts. One, the Vestal Virgins are all played by Playboy Playmates. Nice. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And <laughs> I didn't know Richard Pryor was once again going to be Gregory Hines' part. You know, honestly, I can see that because really? I, I, feel, I feel like Gregory Hines does not fit into that That's movie. his first movie. Uh, What'd you say? Gene Wilder was going to be in High Anxiety as well and, and couldn't do it because of time conflicts. Time conflicts, absolutely. Orson Welles is a narrator. Can I tell you this really quick story about Orson Welles? So I will do a whole episode where we will hopefully do a whole episode on Orson Welles eventually. Yeah, He's my, we need to. He is, he is one of my favorite. Except you hate Touch of Evil. It was agreed that Orson Welles would receive $5,000 per day, which is a hefty sum now, much less then, 
in exchange for his services. Figuring they'd have to spend five or eight hours, uh, five eight-hour days recording and re-recording these lines of whales, Mel Brooks paid him $25,000 up front, and they were all okay with that, right? Yeah. All right. By noon on the first day, Wells had nailed every single line to perfection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I could have paid you $5,000 instead of $25,000. Brooks lamented. After kicking himself for a few minutes, the funny man asked Wells how he planned to spend the bounty. Cuban cigars and Saruva's caviar. <laughs> As he walked out the door. <laughs> Just letting you all know that History of the World Part One is is was one is expensive most expensive movie to that time the most expensive movie would be Spaceballs later on yeah he actually split the I think the cost with whatever studio was he paid for half and they paid for half and he actually ended up doing fairly well out of it I, it's not a great movie no but I enjoyed it it's got so many great it's got scenes a lot of great scenes in it it's got one of the best the most expensive they spent a million dollars on the set for which famous you guys want to guess which one it is the inquisition what a show a million dollars he spent on that set wow i didn't hey, know that hey joe yeah how how poor are the christians Shit, i forgot the line he forgot the line they've only got one god yeah, they've only got one God. They can so only afford one God. They yeah, only have one God. Yeah, History of the World Part One. It's funny. Sorry, sorry, it's funny. <laughs> really quick. He's a stand-up how, do the, how does the Roman Senate vote on the poor? <laughs> F the poor. <laughs> it's got a lot of great lines. And of course, it. you know, Jews from space. Jews in space. Jews in space. Jews sorry. in space. The Inquisition. I didn't realize gave because I, I always think of it as such a. Hilarious thing, but it once again got him in trouble with rabbis in the Jewish and a lot of people in the Jewish community. Really? Yeah, they were still pissed about it several hundred years later, I suppose, <laughs> for probably good reason. And they yeah. did not take uh, kindly to him making light of it and having a whole dance number. He got a but, lot of hate mail about it, actually. But, I mean, that's kind of been obviously not to the extent that Richard Pryor did it, but hasn't Mel Brooks' entire thing? I mean, he he appeared not too long ago on on Jimmy Kimmel or one of them, and took a comb and, and did the. He does it all the time, the Hitler. Yeah. yeah, he says his argument was because he got a lot of hate mail for Springtime for Hitler and the producers too, and a lot of people argued with him. And his point was always, and he said this to mainly a lot of rabbis, you cannot. You can't defeat him with just fighting him. You have to make him into a buffoon. You right. have to make Hitler into a buffoon. You have to belittle him and make the man less than. Yeah. You have to, that's how you defeat him. Make him into an idiot, a buffoon. And I kind of understand that. Um, uh, in interest of time, let's move on. There's a big gap there. He's into several movies. There's a, a one that's a remake that he acted in. They actually, he produced, but he didn't direct, so I left it off my list. But the next one is Spaceballs. Now, Spaceballs was actually his most expensive movie ever. It was not a huge hit when it came out. Oh, but really? I thought no, it was a huge hit. It was not a huge hit. However, to this day, what makes him the most money? Spaceballs. Because of Spaceballs. DVD, Blu-ray, and everyone, people love Spaceballs. 
And George, George Lucas was like all on board with George this. Lucas let him use everything, didn't mind a bit. The only thing he couldn't do was license anything. Thus, all the humor in the movie comes mm. from where the real money from the movie's made. Most of that was jokes of him conver- of having conversations with Lucas who let him do whatever he wanted. Right. As long as he didn't license anything. Right. And I, and if Does he, that make more sense? Yeah. No, no, it's hilarious. So, and George Lucas loved it. And actually, he, the compliment Lucas gave him after the movie was this would work even if it wasn't a Star Wars parody. Right. Not completely agree. Yeah. He said it would work if it wasn't a Star Wars parody. He loved it. But this it, and Spaceballs, was, Spaceballs was my introduction to Mel Brooks. I probably no, it's all Blazing Saddles. It probably it was not a huge failure, chat, but it wasn't a huge success. See, it did I okay. It, I thought it was a massive success. Did okay. I saw it in the theater. Did you guys see it in the theater when no. you were that young? Nope. Okay. I loved it. Of course, I love I love Star Wars and I loved Mel Brooks. I love this. I remember watching this as a kid, laughing my ass off, which I probably shouldn't have been allowed to watch. Yeah, I didn't watch that till I was a teenager. Spaceballs was my introduction to Mel Brooks and what made me love Mel Brooks, and I watched it repeatedly. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I you want to hear a couple of things? Uh, by the way, it's also Elon Musk's one of his favorite movies. Good for him. Did you Did you know there's no. ludicrous speed on the? Uh, if you have to find it, it's one of the special apps on the uh, Teslas. No, I didn't know that. Oh, they have different ones. <laughs> it's like Ludicrous Speed, Gone the Plaid, all these things are all in there. Huh. And actually, if you go listen to the Joe Rogan interview, he talks about yogurt. And he starts <laughs> quoting him. <laughs> Jeez. Yep, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. I just, yeah, space balls. It one of my... Oh, by the way, the lunchbox and the coloring book in it, those uh-huh. are Transformers. Are you serious? Yeah, they just put space balls over it. If you go back and look, it's clearly a Transformers coloring book. Oh, man. Now I got to go watch box. it. That's wow. all it is. Wow. I know. Yeah. And James Calm was going to play Lone Star, but had addiction issues. <laughs> Did you guys know that? No. I can't Not in can't Bill picture. Pullman was never his choice on anything. He also wanted Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise and couldn't get them. For Lone Star? Lone Star. Bill Pullman was his last chance. He saw him in a movie called, and if you guys get to check, this is a Zaz, a Zucker Abram Zucker film called Ruthless People. And he had, yeah, I love a, Ruthless People. It's a great movie about horrible people. It's yeah. what I, it's which, it's probably what we should have done more of with uh, Murder Virgin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could have got that tone a little bit better with Murder <laughs> Virgin, maybe a little more successful. But that's on us. The, um, speaking of merchandising, yeah. Uh, the, one of the scenes that a lot of people remember from Spaceballs was actually more or less improvised. Um, the one where Darth Hellman is playing with the toys. That was all improvised and, by Rick Moranis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mel Brooks had uh, said, oh, well, maybe he should be playing with toys or something when they come in. And Rick Moranis just made all that up on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that, that was all Rick Moranis. So, again, I think the other side of it is... Um, I, the, the 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 ability t- that Mel Brooks has to uh, do illusions and homages. I mean, Spaceballs has the exact same actor from Alien. Well, um, John Hurt plays Jesus in History of the World Part One in a wonderful uh, 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 sight gag and uh, and but anyway, and he the funny thing about that is <coughs> I'll talk a little bit about it. So Mel Brooks produced. What? The Elephant Man, which is one of John Hurt's best roles. Right. And it's probably one of, I don't know, it's a great David Lynch film. It's a great movie. It's the best David Lynch movie. No, I don't know about that. I love Blue Velvet. 
anyway, but it's it's a great movie. You should go out and see it if you've never watched it. And it's a, it's not in any way, shape, or form accurate to historically no, accurate. No, it's right? completely inaccurate. But Mel Brooks, as most as most biofilms are, Mel Brooks produced that movie and picked David Lynch to do it. Right. And most who would think that or who would know that if unless you were into it. So, and by the way, later on, David Lynch thanked him at his something right. He went on stage and said, oh, I don't, I still don't know to this day why he picked me, but thank you. <laughs> anyway, I forgot where I was going with that. He thought, John Hurt thought that he would just, Mel Brooks lied to him and said, no, 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 it's just you would show up and do it. And then he got there and then he realized they were going to rip the whole thing out of his chest. And then he was going to have to be on that table and do all that over again for a cameo he didn't even get paid for. <laughs> As a favor to Mel Brooks. <clears throat> and they didn't talk again. I don't know if that's no, true. I'm sure it's not. But I can imagine us doing that to each other. Yep. And what was he going to do? Say no once he showed up? <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys good with Spaceballs? Uh, the only other thing I was going to say, John Candy being cast was also because of Rick Moranis. Yeah. And the, originally he was going to have a full face. Oh, really? And they, yeah, they cut off all the prosthetics and he made him take them away. He's like, well, shit, if I'm going to pay John Candy, I want to see John Candy. Because he was a yep. producer on all these things. Yeah, that makes sense. Parts. Yeah. Mel Brooks was also the producer of most of his movies. Right. All right. But it, it, the, the last thing I will say that Barf was one of the more complex costumes that Mel Brooks ever had to deal with. I'm sure. It took three people to control Barf's costume. There's a remote the control for one ear. A remote control for another year, and the tail was a separate system. So the there you go. Three people to make Barf come to life. We're running a little long, so let's go through the rest of these. As, I don't want to go as quickly as possible, but Life Stinks was a huge disaster, and I bet most of you out there don't even know that Mel Brooks starred and wrote and directed a movie called Life Stinks. Which I don't I enjoy. I don't enjoy it. I rewatched it last year. It's not terrible. Right. But it by no means is memorable. Right. And it's one of his favorites, according to one of his interviews. I think that's right. Yeah. But it's 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 not an original idea. It's not a satire. It's about a guy who's a billionaire mm -hmm. who makes a bet to live on the streets, right? And then his lawyers screw him, and he has to fight to get his money back. Right. Did I miss anything? No. It's got a couple no. of good side gags in it. It's got Leslie... Um, I forgot her name. Uh, Howard Morris, who's another Mel Brooks regular, who you would know as Ernest T. Bass from uh, the yep. Andy Griffith show. But that's the story. It was a disaster. No one watched it, and it was a huge bomb. Right. Have you ever seen it, James? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not my favorite film he did. It's not terrible, it's but not it terrible. is a completely forgotten Mel Brooks film. I think it may be more forgotten than Twelve Chairs, or right on the same level. That's on the same level. Yeah, but there's that you know the scene where he's trying to like make love to the woman. And there's just layer upon layer, layer, and layer, and layer, 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 layer. Leslie, I can't remember her last name. Yeah, I can't remember. He followed that up with where I'm going to say people say that Life Stinks is where he went. I'm going to say it's the next one Wrong. because at least Life Stinks is different. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Yeah. Now, I'm going to defend Robin Hood, Men in Tights this much. It's not a terrible movie, and it has some great scenes in it, and it's got a lot of funny humor. But oh, it's... And what I'm going to say is, I rewatched it because I watched it when it came out. 
I did too. It's probably the first the one I saw of his in theaters. I saw it in and, London, right. Kentucky with my And mother. the reason this came out is because of the success of, of Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Right, and somebody said, I'm sure, why don't you do Robin and, Hood? And he was revisiting something that he had worked on before. He had previously worked on a show called When Things Were Rotten, which yeah. was a lampooning. It was basically the get smart of the Robin Hood stuff. And he re was revisiting. What I will say about Robin Hood Men in Tights and where I'll defend it a little bit is I rewatched it not too long ago and I realized it if it would have been the last film he made, which it's not, luckily, but it constantly alludes to his other movies. It does. I mean, yeah. it's got young Dave Chappelle it's in Dave it, Chappelle's, and at the very end of it. It's Dave Chappelle's and, first act, his first major role. Right. And, and, and as very, I chew. At the very end of it, he play. Uh, there's a line where, you know, the sheriff of Nottingham has been, lost his job, whatever, and they say, well, a chew or whatever, yeah, yeah a chew should be yeah. um, the sheriff. <coughs> A, a black sheriff, sheriff. It and literally in, Dave Chappelle's line is what well, worked in Blazing Saddles that, um, the hangman the is the same Tots. hangman right the guy that's the hangman is the same hangman from Blazing Saddles well and the, the Men in Tights song is uh, is literally to the same beat same chords as Jews in Space I mean if you're a Melbourne fan the Good to Be King line yep. uh, I also love Richard Lewis so Richard Lewis I don't know I find him hilarious so I, um, I, I and I like Tracy Tracy Ullman's Tracy like one of the best parts about that movie, and she's funny too. And Carrie Elwes is good in it. Yes, he's probably yeah. is a better Robin Hood than the other Robin Unlike Hood. Some Robin Hoods, I can speak, I can speak in a British accent. Yeah, it has some great lines. I've, there's that, and then there's Dracula Dead and Loving It. Robin Hood Men in Tights was a fairly successful film, and then he went on to make Dracula Dead and Loving It, and which was his last movie, and it was a bomb too. I mentioned that because of Stephen Weber's in Dracula Dead and Loving It. I saw an interview with him talking about it, and he was his is one of his great achievements in life was to work with Mel Brooks and be in a Mel Brooks film. He just wished he'd have been in a Mel Brooks film in the seventies, and he and his point was, and it wasn't derogatory in any way, shape, or form, but he was talking about it as as in relation to Dracula Dead and Loving It, of. I felt like I was in the Mad Magazine version of a Mel Brooks film. That makes sense. And I thought that was perfect, and I thought he nailed it. However, I feel Dracula is funnier than Robin Hood Men in Time. I agree, for two reasons. And Even James, though it was the bomb. And, and for two reasons here. And James, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal your thunder here, but uh, you're going to agree. Two things. One, the, the kill scene with the blood. Well, yes. And, and Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol. And the kill scene with the blood... That line at the end goes, yeah, and what do you think? That's, that's ad lib. Oh, really? Yeah, he's saying that to Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> didn't know that was an ad lib. But also, he says Life Stinks is his favorite, maybe his favorite movie, and he'll never do anything funnier than the kill scene in Dragon <laughs> loving, loving it. <laughs> I have that interview where he said there's never and nothing I've ever did funnier than that. Yeah. James, what were you going to say about Peter McNichol? No, Peter McNichol is wrong me, wrong me. <laughs> All that... It's great. The the uh, the one thing that um, yeah he didn't tell him it'd be two hundred gallons that yeah. <laughs> it, that deserves probably a little bit of attention is why my kids know the voice of Mel Brooks so well. He plays Vlad, 
in Hotel Transylvania. Hotel oh, Transylvania, yeah. Well, I, know, I was going to mention that briefly about the fact that Mel Brooks still lives on in movies by doing a lot of voiceover work, as in Hotel Transylvania 3. He was in a, a lesser-known animated movie film called Robots. He's in a ballerina movie called Leap. He never stopped acting. He's in a, he had a, he won an Emmy on doing Mad About You. Right. I was going to say, well, and his other claim to fame, at least, and I know nobody else enjoys uh, these movies but me, and actually I only enjoy one of them, but um, his, I guess, Italian protege, Ezio yeah. Grigio, who's in made a, who's, of the Hands, which I like, because it's Dom DeLuise and it's stupid, stupid humor. It's a terrible Plus, movie. Plus, it's got cameos by John Carpenter, uh, Joe Dante, mm-hmm. Mel Brooks is in it, um, literally uh, John Aston. It's just got great cameo appearances and stuff like that. But they also did a movie together called Screw Loops, which don't go fine, but it's, I mean... Because Ezio Gregio was the Italian protege of Mel Brooks, and they did a couple movies together. So there is that. Stuff he's in Twilight. He's he's in he's in he's in Men in Tights. I didn't know that until I was looking it up. But he's in also in Men in Tights. And by the way, what line the line that Stephen Weber says she's dead enough was ad libbed because it was really to Mel Brooks, uh, oh, not knowing that there was going to be that much <laughs> blood. She's yeah. dead enough. Yeah. Was ad libbed. Um, but I guess before we wrap, and that's Leslie Nielsen, really quick. Yeah, yeah. And probably not a good job of casting, but I do think it's superior to Men and Tides. I agree with you on that by far, because of Peter McNichol and that scene. You're right, Peter McNichol. He does, owns that movie. He owns it. Yeah, every scene. Best Renfield ever. Sorry, Tom Waits. Um, <laughs> you're gonna go with Tom Waits. You're not gonna go with what's his, the actual. Nope. All right. Tom Waits. <laughs> so I, I know we've got to wrap up, but I wanted to tell one story that I found from an interview from when High Anxiety came out. This is going to be a story that, we're that, by time, James. So I, I ran wanted... into my daughter the other day. Go ahead. So when when High Anxiety came out, there used to be an author for Rolling Stone who did this weekly thing as Charles Young. And he basically did, we would now consider it kind of clickbait type articles, where it was like seven revelations about whatever. Right. And he did one with Mel Brooks. And the story was that he was waiting for Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks said, I'll do, I'll let you do it. I'll do, I'll meet you at the Russia Tea House, blah, 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 blah. The deal is you can't ask me about my wife, my kids, or money. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, he, he, he says in the uh, interview, he says, I, that would be the same requirements I'd make, so I go to meet Mel Brooks. He goes, I'm waiting for Mel Brooks, and Mel Brooks is late, and this cab pulls up. And two people get out of the cab, and I'm like, oh, crap. It's John Lennon and Yoko Ono, who hadn't done a lot of stuff publicly around that time. And he says, I'm thinking I can grab them and just get a soundbite or something. And at that time, Mel Brooks pulls up and he says, I had to make the choice. Do I chase John Lennon and Yoko Ono or do I go meet with Mel Brooks? And he goes, obviously, I ended up meeting with Mel Brooks because if I was getting, re- if I was going to be interviewed by somebody and they ran off after somebody else, I'd say screw it. The funny part about that is, was they were asking Mel Brooks, he said, you know, Mel Brooks, um, a lot of people have said that you might actually be crazy. And he goes, that's absolutely not true. He goes, I've seen a psychologist several times. I am one of the most rational people around. I have documentation to prove it. And uh, he, he talked a few more minutes, and he said, you can actually contact my psychologist. Here it is, blah, 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 blah. 
And um, long story short, they ended up actually talking to the psychologist and he said, yeah, um, Mel Brooks is perf perfectly rational, but I, I actually did say that he was completely literally sane, but I pulled back my comment after, uh, after I gave it. And, and Mel Brooks went back to him and he said, did he tell you what I did? He said, Mel Brooks, um, basically what Mel Brooks, once he got the psychologist to say that he was perfectly normal, <laughs> you broke up, bro. waited in the lobby. Oh, man. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, finish this damn story. Yeah. By the Mel way, you could have left waited. off the whole John Lennon part. <laughs> Mel Brooks waited in the lobby until he saw the doctor come around the corner to go to the restroom. Yes. When the guy went inside the restroom, Mel Brooks walked in and urinated on his shoe. Okay. And he said, that'll teach you to tell people that I'm completely and utterly sane and walked out. <laughs> huh. All right, then. One thing that, uh, we that was the one Mel Brooks story I found that I had never heard before. If you're a fan of Mel Brooks, a few things I want you to tell you about. Uh, not only did he produce Elephant Man, he also produced The Great uh, The Fly and a few other films as well. Uh, you can also, we could have talked about Carl Reiner and he and the, the 2,000-year-old man for an hour. And uh, there are a ton of TV movie things. Um, what Chad There's wanted to mention... Book. Is a great, would you say? There's a kid's book that they wrote together not too long ago called Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner. Yeah. The 1,000-year-old man goes to school. Yeah. The 10,000-year-old man. A 2,000-year-old man, but that's side point. Anyway, moving right along, really quick, there's one of Chad and I's favorite films, and it's based on a loose story of him working on the show of shows, and he produced the movie. He didn't direct it, didn't do anything else in it. It stars Peter O'Toole. What's it called? Uh, that's the reason why I wrote Peter O'Toole movie, because I'm blanking on the title. Oh, it's called My Favorite Year, and it's directed by Richard Benjamin. I got you back. Thank you. <laughs> and it's directed, and it's about him working as a young, young man on the show of shows. And do you know who that... Who it's Peter not Errol Flynn. It's not? No. There's there's a, there's a an interview with Mel Brooks that says it's not Errol Flynn. It's a, Span it's a Spanish actor, and he never did say his name. Are we wrong? Because the, 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 the thing was, for years, it was based on Errol Flynn. Uh, there's an interview with Mel Brooks. I forget which one it was. I think it was, it might have been Dick Cavett. It might have been Dick Cavett. I think it was Dick Cavett, where he just said that, you know, people think it's Errol Flynn. It's not. It's off. It was a Spanish actor that, and then he never told us his name. It's, uh, his name is Benji. He's loosely based on Mel Brooks in that time. I, I don't know that you ever seen, I own, once again, I own the original one sheet because right. it's one of my favorite movies, but it is directed by Richard Benjamin. Go out and check it out. It's called My Favorite Year, and it's one of the great Peter O'Toole performances. Yep. By the way, when I tell you that Peter O'Toole is one of the greatest actors of all time, and I say that's one of his great performances, right up there with The Lion in Winter, you should check that shit out, because I mean it. And also, my favorite year... the. By the, by the way, my favorite year is not as good as The Lion in the, Winter, but go ahead. The host and producer of the show is, a, is insane, uh, quick to anger, wants to fight the mob. That Sid, is Sid, Sid Caesar. Caesar. All that's true. We need to do a whole episode on Sid Caesar and some stories yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure the kids out there want to watch it. James, you good? We're good? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was okay. just actually looking up some more trivia about uh, my favorite year. And, and one of the lines that they do actually pull, again, pulling from actual history, Mel Brooks, um, while, while it's loosely based on a couple different people, they also did have him actually quote John Barrymore a couple times in the script. And if you don't know anything about John Barrymore's life, he also was a notorious drunk. Yeah. And, and he's Drew Barrymore's grandfather. Father. 
And thank you all so much. What we need you to do from this point on is watch the show or listen to the show. And then when you do that, we need you to share it on your social medias, like your Twitters, your Facebooks, your Instagrams. And we need you to go on the iTunes and the SoundClouds and the YouTubies and subscribe. Right. And rank us. Rank us and tell us that we don't suck. This has been... Or if you think we do, we'll take honesty as long as you subscribe. As, yeah, please subscribe. Thank you so much and share us on your social media. This is Bonehead. Have a great day. Thank you, Mel Brooks, for making my life just a little bit better. That was way too serious. Yeah, yeah, you you ended on a downer. I don't know. I, it did make me. It did. All those people, they made my life richer. And as much as I give shit to Lucas, Lucas made my life richer, which hmm. is sad because really love and family should have done, taken care of that. So, pff, thanks, family. <laughs> are we, are we going to end this like Dracula did and loving it where we each try to get the last word? No. No. Nah. 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 No. Nah. No. 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 Yeah, no, I disagree She's with She's dead enough. Disagree. Meh. Mm. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs>